let us pray. Our dearest and most gracious Heavenly Father, we are so thankful, so very, very thankful uh, that you would allow us to know you through your word, and you have given us the account of Jesus' life, not just once, but four times, Lord God. So thank you so much, and thank you for the privilege of studying one of those in Matthew. We ask God that you would just open your word now to our hearts by your Spirit, that we might learn to know you and love you and treasure you above all things. I ask this, Lord, in the name of Jesus. Amen. All right, good to see everyone today. Hope you're doing well. Um, we are in Matthew chapter 10, looking at the second half of Matthew chapter 10. And um, in the previous section, we saw that Jesus was the one who has authority. Right? Jesus is the one who has divine authority. We saw him cleanse the lepers. We saw him calm the storm. We saw him cast out demons. We saw him even uh, forgive sins. Remember the, uh, the paralytic, and that caused a whole ruckus, um, as, it, uh, as it did understandably. We're going to actually hear some of the, about the fallout and the implication of, of that uh, today. So, um, uh, last week we started a new section, and uh, we, we're calling it Authority Shared. So, the, the previous section was Authority in Action, seeing Jesus exercise authority. This is Authority Shared. It's, um, we're seeing Jesus share his authority with his disciples. So we called, last week we saw him call his first disciples. He, um, he, or he sent them on the mission trip uh, with the authority to do all that he had done. To, uh, with, um, with the exception of forgiving sins. Cleansing lepers, casting out demons, healing the sick. But remember he sent them with a warning. He said, I'm sending you out as sheep in the midst of wolves. Uh, he said, uh, be wise, uh, or shrewd, is, is the uh, King James Version uh, says, be shrewd as serpents and innocent as doves. Be, um, be savvy, be aware, but don't compromise your morals, but be, be aware. Be, beware of men, he says, you're going to be handed over to the authorities for this. Perhaps brother is going to deliver bro- um, brother, father is going to deliver child. Uh, and Jesus finishes saying, they're persecuting Jesus, not you. You're getting this because you're aligned with Jesus. So it is, uh, it is really uh, on the heels of, of this warning and this uh, just very honest, um, very honest assessment. Almost, I mean, it's, in a sense, it would be scary, I think. Uh, the disciples are still pretty new to this following Jesus thing, and and, and so um, and Jesus says, "Man, this is this is not going to be an easy road," and that is continuing I, in some ways uh, for us. But Jesus, I think today gives a very hopeful word. It, it, if we have to, we have to look at it closely for it to be hopeful, because I, it might on the surface sound sound not so hopeful. Uh, my a little warn, warning, condemning, judgmental. But actually, I really think a close look will show this. It's a very hopeful word about His presence his, uh, with us, His commitment to His disciples. So on the heel of saying that they're persecuting Jesus, He says, uh, So have no fear of them, for nothing is covered that will not be revealed, or hidden that will not be known. What I tell you in the dark, say in the light. 
And what you hear whispered, proclaim on the housetops. Interestingly, they had, remember they had flat roofs. You know, and in fact, the roof was, was sort of a, uh, a living room of sorts for them. They would go up, and that was sort of like a porch or a terrace. And, uh, and, but it was also apparently a really good place to proclaim things. You, had to, you could yell down to the streets you know, and call out things if you had something to proclaim. So from the housetops, he says... And do not fear those who kill the body but cannot kill the soul. Rather, fear him who can destroy both soul and body in hell. Are not two sparrows sold for a penny? And not one of them will fall to the ground apart from your father. But even the hairs of your head are all numbered. Fear not, therefore, you are of more value than many sparrows. So everyone who acknowledges me before men, I will also acknowledge before my Father who is in heaven. But whoever denies me before men, I will also deny um, before my Father who is in heaven. So it begins this saying, have no fear of them. What is the nature of fear? What is the nature of fear? Trust. Trust. You say trust, you said doubt. What do you mean trust is the nature of lack of trust? So now we're on the, kind of closer to the same page. So tell me, uh, what, what is that lack of trust, but what else? What, tell me more about the nature of fear. Unknown. The unknown. Absolutely. We don't know what's going to happen, although we have some expectation of what could happen. And that, uh, we don't like that. We don't, we don't like whatever it is. That, now, if, if we think it's amazing and somebody's going to throw us a party, that's not fear. That's, you know, even though it's in the unknown. But, um, but if we think something dangerous or some great loss. Um, now, of course, fear of God is, is much more like respect. You know, uh, a respect for his power, respect for his potential, uh, his uh, just having awe. Uh, you know your place. That's that's fear of God, and, and I think we're, we, we're going to get to that. Um, he includes that, but fear in this sense, have no fear of them, is that terrifying expectation of loss or pain. It is uh, it is unknown. It hasn't happened yet. When it happens, that that brings a different emotion, right? But but uh, the nature of fear is a terrifying loss of um, or t- terrifying expectation of loss or pain. And, and so um, it hasn't happened yet, but we are overcome with the implications of, of the potential for whatever it is. And so w- we might be afraid of these people who, he said last week, are going to drag us into courts. Now, when I say us, of course, I mean disciples, and he's speaking specifically. You probably aren't going to get dragged into court because of the proclamation of your faith, at least not in this country. Um, or... Yet, somebody say yet, in this state, maybe, maybe, well, um, the, uh, overwhelm, the overwhelm, the fear drives our actions, right? You think about a time when you're really afraid, and um, maybe it's uh, a diagnosis, maybe it's you're slamming on brakes in in a traffic uh, incident just about, Uh, fear drives our actions, and our decision-making, and in some sense, our character, um, depending on the situation. 
So I think when he says, have no fear, and this is connected to last week's verses, when he says, I'm sending you out as sheep among wolves, right? Because that could be a fearsome thing. Well, gosh, if I'm a sheep and they're wolves, I'm in big trouble, right? That, that does not sound like a scenario that I thought I was signing myself up for, right? So um, the fear of God, I mean, I mean the, uh, the fear of these people, we should not have it. Um, even though they're going to drag us out and brother's going to deliver brother over to death, these are fear circumstances, especially we have a, disi- we have a disciple is not uh, above his teacher. We didn't really get into this too much last, last week. Nor a servant above his master. It's enough for the disciple to be like his teacher and the servant his master. If they call the master of the house Beelzebub, they call him Satan, if they call him the devil, how much more are they going to malign you? Those of his household. So if you're aligned with Jesus, you're going to get treated like Jesus. That's what Jesus is saying. If you're aligned with Jesus, you're going to get treated like Him. So why not fear? I mean, nobody wants to get crucified. Why would they not fear? Is Jesus being a little ostentatious by asking them not to fear? Yes, Craig. Well, I don't know if this follows along with what you're talking about, but I always uh, kind of thought that... uh, one of the reasons that he uh, sent them out at that particular time was because that so that they would have a good uh, understanding of what the difference was between going out with and without the Holy Spirit. And uh, you know, when I've had uh, people that have that I've known that have been freshly converted and everything, they're they're really zealous and they want to get out there. They want to do this, and I pretty much you know. Uh, encourage them to do that but then they always come back broken down and the reason they're broken down is they have no clue of what they're doing yeah and it just drives them into the word and i said that's why the bible's so important mm-hmm. and i think i just always thought that that was one of the reasons that he did it was uh because they they had the power to do the healings and stuff like that but they did not have the holy spirit well, he didn't have the Holy Spirit yet, and certainly they would have been driven to his promises and, and ultimately uh, to his word. Of course, they ended up writing a lot of his word, didn't they? Uh, but why, again, why not fear? What is Jesus talking What is specifically Jesus talking about? I love everything you said, but, but what, is, uh, what is Jesus talking about? Why not fear? Remember, he's talking to disciples, he's talking to committed followers. And even what he's saying is let's, let's have some perspective here. Even death, even death cannot take away your greatest treasure. And so you don't have to be afraid that you're going to lose anything because even if you lose your life, you're still going to gain eternal life. You don't have to fear anything. You have, when you have the assurance that, that we have at the end of all things, that gives us present freedom to proclaim His truth with boldness. Why am I going to be afraid of what people think of me when I have uh, Christ. Now, of course, we're, I mean, I, I, we live in the world. Of course, we're going, we, have, we live next door to these people or whatever it is. Like we're going to see them again in the checkout line, of course. And I'm not saying you go around with a sandwich board or a bullhorn and, and like some people around here do and, and proclaim the name of Jesus. But I do think in our actions, I do think in our uh, interactions that um, even as, and especially as we talked about last week with those that are difficult to love, if we don't return unkindness with unkindness, we turn, return it with love. And we proclaim. And then they, they're confused by that. Why? Well, it's just going to make them upset. But just tell them Jesus. 
their duplicity and their evil intent is going to be shown for what it is either now or in the future. Either now or in the, at the end of time. Everything he says, he says everything is going to be revealed. Nothing is going to be hidden. Um, that that is not going to be nothing is hidden that is not going to be known. Nothing is covered that is not going to be revealed. It's going to be shown for what it is. Nothing can take uh, our greatest treasure from us. And so this is a call to a radical and eschatological faith. Now, who knows what the word eschatological means? Never heard of it. Well, it means it means a faith. In light of the end of all things. Eschatological, that's a, that's a $5 seminary word. But it just means the end of all things. And we have a faith that should be filtered through always the end of all things. Because no matter what, when you face temptation, I'm going to face my maker. And he's going to reward me. I don't need to t- take this temptation. I'm going to have everything I could ever dreamed of. When you face persecution, I'm going to meet my maker and he's going to be my greatest treasure. Nothing they can do to me can take... Away, whenever in any circumstances you face, we want to think about, we're going to have the hope that is set before us always to give us the strength that we need. In fact, Father Trent really talks about this in the sermon this morning. And Jesus has revealed himself on the holy mount, the Mount of Transfiguration, which is in fact like a mountain like this. I mean, it was it would have been no wonder the disciples were sleepy. They had climbed a, a big tall mountain. And um, and he says that uh, you know, he talks about the uh, time machine, we're seeing the, the fullness of, of Jesus revealed. And, um, and so we want to hold that glory before us. And to know that nothing, I mean, we, we're, we're, not, we're not bound to do what the Bible says. We're free to do what the Bible says. Because we have, we have the Lord waiting on us in all His glory. And so the, this eschatological faith, I'll um, I have Elaine write that down for you so you can know how to spell it um, if you are taking notes. Um, but present faith with the assurance of our good destination as our fuel for present action. Present faith. Joe? Yes. Okay, we, we fear maybe the unknown or if we're having surgery or, or somebody comes in with a sword or whatever. <laughs> persecute us. And we know what our reward is. We just don't want to suffer. A long time. We don't want to say no. And, and I, I, I mean, let me acknowledge. It's not like a. I mean, Jesus elsewhere says it's a sin to worry. I, I'm not talking about that. I mean, I think, I think, of course we are. But what we can do in those circumstances is remind ourselves, preach the gospel to ourselves. When we have an incident of uh, hard, hardship or heartbreak in our family, because we all have those. That we can remind ourselves that God is present with us, that His glory is uh, sufficient and His grace is sufficient for us, that He is our great hope, not, us, not the healing of our present circumstance. That we can preach the gospel to ourselves. We don't have to live in fear. It doesn't mean that you're not going to respond in fear. But I think, I think we are free to preach the gospel to ourselves. Yes, Paul. But does that go along with having the faith with the unknown? In other words, you have enough faith... The Holy Spirit, but of course they don't have the Holy Spirit yet. But go forward, just as you have fear with the unknown, you have faith with the unknown, and you have to believe that is what we're being taught. Well, sure. I mean, the uh, certainly the uh, the expectation of heaven is is an unknown. I mean, it doesn't it produces hope, not not fear. Um, but but yes, I mean, I think ideally, ideally, 
I mean, sort of what I'm describing is you have this awful circumstance and we don't feel any fear. But practically, we are going to feel it. We just have to t- remind ourselves, we have the freedom to remind ourselves of the truth that awaits us. And that we do have the Holy Spirit. Now. And we do have the Holy Spirit. Yes. Yes, indeed. Thank you. But you know, I, I, All right. It's like, it's like we have, like women manage different things. What, what is that? Multitasking. It's like we deal with the present now. We know what the future is, but we're dealing and we're human and flawed, which makes it so much harder to do the right thing. And I think of people that at this time, they weren't nearly as educated as, as we were. Mm-hmm. They, they had different experiences that, than we're bound to. So I think I understand what their, their fear was. Sure. Sure. I mean, we, we can be certainly sympathetic and empathetic with, with their... Uh, their fear, because we have fear ourselves. And what he says uh, is that you don't don't fear them, fear the Lord. And this is the, this is the all in reverence. That that's the one who can who can destroy both body and soul in hell. That's not the devil. That's the Lord. The devil doesn't get judgment. He doesn't get to, to do that. That's and that's so that's that respect and that all we know our place. But listen to what he says. I mean that if it were if it stopped there, we would just be like, oh crud, you know. Like, but what what does it say? It says, aren't Two sparrows sold for a penny? I mean, just nothing, right? And, and, and yet, God cares so much about them that not one of them goes through the cycle of life apart from His hands. And you are, I mean, this would have actually, I think, elicited a chuckle uh, among the disciples. You're of value than uh, many more sparrows, right? You know, you're much more value than many sparrows. So, um, and, and He says, even the, the hairs of your head are numbered. I mean, that's a tougher task for some of you than, than for others of us. But, but, um, but that is uh, what he's saying is that this is, this is, the, this is the heart of the Father. This, this is why I say it's so hopeful and we've got to see the whole thing. He's speaking to his disciples who are being sent out as, as missionary sheep among uh, lost wolves to proclaim the kingdom. This is, he's not sending us out in power. He's sending us out in weakness because that's how the kingdom of God works. His power is made perfect in our weakness. And, and so when we're sent out in this way, we need to remember that God is totally in control. We're seeing things through the, the lens of, of the hope that awaits us and know that presently God loves you so much. He has the hairs of your head uh, numbered. And, um, and he is, uh, you are so much more valuable to Him than even the things that he values so much in creation. So he says, so everyone, and it, this is not like, you, you better, you know, or else. This is, if you're with me, I don't, you don't have to worry. I'm going to acknowledge, I'm going to acknowledge you before the Father. Like, I'm, I'm with you. Now, for those of you who are, those who are persecuting you, I, I, will, I won't acknowledge. I mean, there's, there's already been a separation. He's not saying, or else, if you don't acknowledge me, I'm not going to. He's assuring those who are following him that he will take care of the justice. And I think we can, we can hold on to that. Some of you have experienced great injustice. The world is full right now. We're praying and praying and praying for Ukraine because there's just, it's just unjust. God is going to, uh, Jesus is going to speak to the Father on, the, on behalf of those who know him. And many in Ukraine do. So we're going we're to, and Russia too, I'm sure. But we're going to uh, we're going to 
uh, hold um, hold to the fact that Jesus knows us. So do you see that? Do you see the hopefulness in this? I mean, it's, it's he's speaking to disciples to say, "You just worry about you and Jesus. I'm going to take care of the rest." Like it's going to be fearsome, but you need to know that even if you die, like you're going to live. That's <laughs> thanks. Um, the dead, the that's right. And, and sin. They've seen the authority in action. That's right. Yeah. Yeah. But weren't they also still at the back of their mind thinking that there's going to be an earthly Messiah? So they're still struggling with the flesh part of the whole thing. Yeah, yeah. So Ellen said, it, that, weren't they still struggling with the, the fact there's going to be an earthly Messiah? Or weren't they still under that? Right. I mean, there's they, they didn't quite figure it out to the resurrection. Right. But we have it, and we can see it from where, where we are. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, so what Jesus says here is consistent with don't worry when you're speaking, have to speak in front of courts because we're going to, the Holy Spirit's going to speak through you. Right? The words will be given to you in that moment. He, he cares for us. Remember that, um, that hymn, His Eyes on the Sparrow? So Baptist hymn, I think. Why should I feel discouraged? Why should the shadows come? Why should my heart be lonely and long for heaven and home when Jesus is my portion? My constant friend is He. His eyes on the sparrow. And I know He watches me. I sing because I'm happy. I sing because I'm free. I don't know. How does the next part go? For his eyes on the sparrow. I've got it. And I know he watches me. That's not the right tune. All right, I started. Started out good. Let not your heart be troubled. His tender word I hear. And resting on his goodness, I lose my doubts and fears. Though by the path he leadeth, but one step I may see. By the path he leadeth, but one step I may see. His eye is on the sparrow, and I know he watches me. And I see... No, I'm <laughs> In the midst of a tough teaching, uh, Jesus says, you're much more value than many sparrows. So, that's that... That's that little paragraph. Comments, questions, pushback, chat. All right. <laughs> so he uh, he does, he doesn't quit. And this, I mean, I've I've heard uh, preachers preach on on this passage or similar passages and say, like, apologize to the to. The, to the uh, congregation because, you know, they're just like, I'm, I, this is so hard, I'm sorry. It's not that hard in context. But he says, do not think that I have come to bring peace to the earth. I have not come to bring peace but a sword. Ugh. That sounds bad, doesn't it? It's not that bad. For I have come to set a man against his father and a daughter against her mother and a daughter-in-law against her mother-in-law, and a person's enemies will be those of his own household, and whoever loves father or mother more than me is not worthy of me. Whoever loves son or daughter more than me is not worthy of me. Whoever does not take his cross and follow me is not worthy of me. Whoever finds his life will lose it. Whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. 
It's it in gentle Jesus, meek and mild, is it? This is pull no punches. I'm going to level with you and be honest with you, Jesus. Right? It ain't going to be easy. That's what he's telling them. What do you make, before I tell you what I make, what, what do you make of this passage? I'm not come to bring peace to the earth. I'm not come to bring peace but a sword. Wait a second. I thought you were the Prince of Peace. Like, what? What do you make of this? You're reading this in your devotions? You just skate past it and think of something nice or whatever? <laughs> whatever is lovely, think on these things, right? That's what. It bothers you. Yeah. Good. I think it's talking about division. And in my own life, there was a division when I come to put my faith in Christ. A lot of my other family members did not believe. And I had to make a choice to follow what they had always thought was right or wrong or follow what I knew the truth to be in the Word. And I had to take a stand a couple times. It was very uncomfortable for me. Mm -hmm. But um, to me, that's always been personal to where I did have to separate. It's almost like you have to hate your mother and father. I had to hate Jesus first in my life when I made the choice. Right. And my mom herself was upset because she'd been raised, you know, with a faith, but that didn't kind of go that radical. And um, so she felt like, you know, Maybe wrong in some areas. She changed her mind later, but yeah, I felt like I had to hurt my mom. Yeah. To follow Christ, and it came out good later. That's hard. Yeah, I'm glad to hear it had a happy ending. Later, but in the beginning, when I didn't have much knowledge, it was kind of painful. So I kind of read this and understood it in a way, and empathized with it. That's how I. I never looked any farther to take it any deeper. I just kind of took it at face value. Yeah. Thank you so much for telling us your own. That's very vulnerable. Thank you so much, Ellen. Yeah. Is he not saying that I have not come to bring peace? He's not here to smooth things over. He's here to have his parties align with him. Um, I didn't know how else to, to think of that. Yes. Yes. People who are aligned with him are clearly not aligned with the, with the world and vice versa. But do you think that they thought that he was just going to make, we're going to make nice well, I don't know if they thought that, but we do. We think that He's just here to make nice. And what Jesus is saying is He has not come to protect the status quo. He's come to disrupt the status quo. Separate the wheat from the tares, even in our Well, yes, but I mean, he, I think the context of this is that He's not looking to cast away. I mean, you think about John 6, too. I will in no wise, all that the Father brings to me, I will in no wise cast out. He is not saying follow me or else. I mean, I think that's the way we sort of uh, do this. Yes, there is a separation of the faithful and the unfaithful. Uh, absolutely. But he is, he is, um, he has not come to start a war with swords. That's not what he's saying. But he's saying that his truth, the truth that he's bringing, the, the fact that we, if you have a, is, if it is the kingdom of God, it is not the kingdom of the world. Right? I mean, it is, it is a disruption. We naturally belong to the kingdom of God if we are uh, um, uh, defecting from the kingdom of this world to the kingdom of God, then there, that is going to come with some, uh, uh, potentially with, with some difficulty. Um, well, the, the Bible is called the sword of the spirit. I mean, I, I don't think that, I think what he's, I, I don't think he, he is, um, Paul may be drawn on this as his metaphor, but Jesus isn't drawn on that. So um, I think that, uh, I think that, that ultimately what he's simply saying is that his truth uh, is is disruptive? I mean, you think about his 
in your own life. You're, his truth ought to be disruptive in your own life. And the Bible does talk about, and probably is drawing on this, the book of Hebrews, that, that it's sharper than any two-edged sword. Right? It pierces, the Word of God pierces. Uh, and, and so it, it cuts us off from the ways of the world. Thanks be to God, right? And yet, the ultimate test is our ultimate allegiance, or I should say it maybe backwards, our ultimate allegiance is the ultimate test. Um, are, are, do we love God more than anything? Now, I think it's uh, Luke's version that says if you don't hate your father or mother, then you're not worthy. And that's, that's hard, but I think it is, this makes it a little more understandable. If you love your father or mother more than you love me, then you're not worthy. And what we're saying is that Jesus is our greatest treasure. And hopefully not, but sometimes we'll have, um, we'll have to make hard choices. And it also tells us what, what a blessing a Christian family is. If we, if we do have that, if we are fortunate enough to have that. He is obviously not coming with the intent of disrupting families. That's not, he's not trying, oh, I just lost my Zoom meeting. He's not trying to, uh, I'm going to let, uh, we take a look at that. Uh, he's not trying to, um, to disrupt families. Families are, were established before the fall of humanity. And, um, and at the very beginning of creation, and, they, and families are at the core of a stable civilization. I, Jesus is not saying, I'm, I'm come to destroy families. He's saying that his own truth will disrupt families as a consequence of the fall. When you bring the truth in, and people don't want the truth, some people are going to get upset about that. If you've ever had a teenager, you know that conviction is a powerful thing, Right? <laughs> And, and they, you know, and, and sometimes people, when people take stands that are opposed to one another, that um, that's difficult. And he say he simply say it's not. This isn't simply going to be ethnic. This is going to get down to the very root of our society. So, um, yes. yes, ma'am. Yeah, no, I, I mean, I, I, I appreciate that. And the reason it's bothersome is because you love your family, because you, you know, you have this, um, uh, I mean, and that's, that is a beautiful, wonderful thing. And of course it is. And I, I, I don't think that it, I mean, I have to go back and look at the uh, original Greek, but I, I don't think he's saying that my intent in coming is to break up families. But the fact that he has come will break up families. Uh, I mean, that's not his goal, but it's just, it's just the, uh, the truth of the matter. But, I mean, you think about someone who's... Say, for us, our families were raised in Christ and some have wandered away and they don't like it or whatever. But you think about it in their culture or think about a contemporary Muslim convert. 
Sometimes they are literally choosing Jesus over their family, and they won't see him again. Or a Jewish convert uh, sometimes, or a Hindu, or whatever it is, uh, they, they actually, in, in that sense, they are having to choose uh, Jesus over their family. I'm going to go reset the network. Okay, yeah. And we might, we could pick, I don't know if it's, it was on, the, it was on the, this one. It's down too. Okay. Um, so, yes, the wording is difficult. I have a friend, hadn't talked to him in a while, but uh, he's from a very good Episcopal family. I mean, just a well-established, uh, in a wealthy neighborhood, in a southern town, good Episcopal family. And he caught the spirit, man. He caught the spirit. And so, and he was an architect, and he moved his whole family to Montana uh, because he had an opportunity to set up his dream, which was, and they're actually doing amazing stuff, but he established an architecture firm that would, um, that would design um, modern buildings for, for mission or agencies all around the world. And they've been to Haiti, they've been to Singapore, they've been... Uh, all over Africa, they've been done amazing things at incredibly discounted rates. They have uh, it is wonderful, but this good Episcopal family freaked out and talked about like you know the the cult they were joining, and and it was just very hard because they were moving their family away because of their faith. They had to pick, and I I never quite understood. I mean, I, they had a campus opportunity in in Montana um, with an, an organization up there. But I never quite understood why it couldn't have just been near their family. And I think their family would have been okay with it if it was not on some weird ranch in Montana. But that being, that being said, it was, um, it, it, was a, uh, it was a very difficult year or two with that family. So this is a Christian family really upset because their Christian son was going to serve Christ. <laughs> And um, and yet, uh, they 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 figured it out. They went finally. After, it took a couple of years before they swallowed their pride and went to visit. But they they came. They saw amazing things. They saw that the daughters were well taken care of. So again, he's not looking to cast away. Even when he says, "You're not worthy of me," he loves us. He wants us to count. He wants to count us as his own. Why else would he say? We're going to be with you. We're going to give you the words when, when you're before the magistrates. We're, going to, uh, we're numbering the hairs on your head. We, we, uh, we love you more. When I say we, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, love you more than, um, uh, than the sparrows. But, but he lo- he, it's, when we come to him, it's on his terms, not ours. And I think that gets all over us in our modern society. We want, we want to love Jesus on our terms. Um, he gets to be God, not us. He's, a sh- he's sharing his authority with ambassadors, not with entrepreneurs. Okay? We're amb- you know what an ambassador does? Speaks on behalf of the king. Right? If he says, oh, well, let me give you my opinion about it, then he gets fired because he's not an ambassador anymore. He's an entrepreneur. Right? We, Jesus is sharing his authority with ambassadors, not entrepreneurs. When we, when we venture out to start our own thing, which is what we love to do, we would love to imagine that Jesus just blesses everything that we do. But He doesn't. My, my prayer often is, God, bless this thing I already did. I mean, like, you know, that's... 
You ever prayed like that? I just did this, Lord. Would you please bless him? We are heralds of his good news, messengers of the king, and he shares his authority with us on his terms. So he's not looking for box checkers. Well, I went to church this week. He's looking for disciples. He's looking for men and women of conviction. Like, not just nice people. Like, you, you ought to be nice. You get to be nice as part of following Jesus. I would say we've got five minutes left. Since Thank you. Sorry, but thank you for working. Um, men and women who should be willing to face persecution should it come their way. So that's a good question. Are you, would you be willing to face persecution if it came your way? I hope so. I hope so. You dreamed it. You either denounce Jesus or I'm going to cut off both of your arms. I will cut. She said that she her, she had a dream that if uh, that a guy knocked on her door and said, "If you don't denounce Jesus, I'm going to cut off both your arms," and she woke up. We don't know how she answered. We uh, we don't know. She didn't tell us whether that was in the dream. Yeah, she still has her arms. So. Yes. I, I, all of this is what all of this should make us think is: Is Jesus our greatest treasure? And if he is, it's not just if he is in theory. Are we living to that in, in, in practice? Are we? Yeah, that's the hard part. Are we? Are we making him with our time, with our talent, with our treasure, with our energy, our enthusiasm, our interest? Are we making? Is Jesus our greatest treasure? Or is Jesus a box that we check? That's a hard question. It's not for me to answer. I will. I, I can answer for myself, and I will say most of the time I think. He is my greatest treasure, but many, many, many times He shows me where He's not. And that's called repentance. The calling may not be to face persecution, but to care for those who do. And this is where we see the the camaraderie of the body of Christ. Again, this is a hopeful passage. The last paragraph here, whoever receives you receives me. Whoever receives me receives him who sent me. The one who receives a prophet, because he is a prophet, will receive a prophet's reward. Isn't that amazing? It's not just the prophet who got his teeth kicked in uh, who gets the reward, but the people who cared for the prophet along the way. That's pretty awesome. That's a better calling than being the prophet, isn't it? Yeah. Uh, The one who receives a righteous person, because he's a righteous person, We'll receive a righteous person's reward. This is body of Christ. This is, this is the community of faith caring for one another. Whoever gives one of these little ones, and it's not children, it's disciples. That's, that's what he means, his, his children, not, little, not actual children. Whoever gives one of these little ones even a cup of cold water because he's a disciple, truly I say to you, he will by no means lose his reward. The, re- the reward is the, de- the divine desire. Right? That's, that's the reward. The reward is the same. The reward is the desire for the divine, for Jesus. Um, and then He blesses us. Anyway, so that's, that's really, I'm sure we have a lot, it is an uncomfortable passage. We're, we're going to um, 
I'm going to stop it right there, but I'm, we've got a couple minutes for questions or thoughts. A lot to think about, isn't it? Yeah. Like, can't we just get to the parables? <laughs> They're so much easier. Next week, we're going to... Um, uh, the title of the class next week is Doubts of a Baptist. In case you know one, or were one, Doubts of a Baptist. Matthew 11, 1 through 15. Go to church if you haven't. If you've already been to church, chances are you missed a really good breakfast. You missed a really good breakfast. So go to breakfast if you're coming to 915.